We're in Matthew chapter 6 on our series on prayer, working through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 6, probably verse 7 through 13 in just a minute, but let's thank God for the Word. Did you enjoy worship this morning? Amen. Amen. So good to be able to come together and be refreshed in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I need it. Amen. I need it. Wednesday and Sunday are not enough, so we're going to meet every day of the week from now on. (laughs) So, Lord, we thank you this morning for this time in your word. We thank you that we could worship in your presence, Lord, that you refresh us. Father, open up our ears today, our spiritual ears, that we would hear truth this morning. Father, that as the Holy Spirit opens the word up to us, we would hear it and mix it with obedience in our lives, that we would purpose to uh, incorporate the word of God into our daily routine. And in doing so, you would change us, God, from the inside out. We didn't come to church to stay the same. We came to be changed by the presence of God. And so we ask that we would get what we believe for this morning, an internal change in us that would bring us closer to you, that would bless our lives, that would make our existence more meaningful, more blessed, and more productive. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, starting in verse 7. And when you pray, Jesus speaking, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. We notice that they didn't ask him to teach them a prayer, but to teach them to pray. He didn't say, Lord, teach us a cool prayer that we could recite over and over again and just, you know, until it means nothing to us. No, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And it is a prayer that is more than just a prayer to be repeated. Notice what I said in verse 7 as I'm reading the pretext to this. It says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Praying a scripted prayer over and over again is really not the way God designed us to connect with him. He calls them vain repetitions, and he, and he says it's thoroughly heathen. Why? Because they think with all the noise and all the repetition and the sacrifice that somehow they'll get God's attention. He didn't teach them a prayer as much as he taught them a pattern or a template of prayer that needs to be applied to our prayer lives. Verse 9 starts with, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We covered that last time we were in this text. And so far, our prayer structure, we learn, looks like this. We come to God celebrating that he is our father. What an amazing thing it is to be able to call your, father, your God in heaven father and that be true. Amen. Jesus said, many people cry, Lord, Lord, to me, but I never knew them. Yet we as children of God, by relationship with Jesus Christ, are brought into a, a covenant relationship by the blood of the lamb that allows us to call God in heaven our father. That's an awesome thing, and we need to incorporate it in the way we approach God. 
Praying the Lord's Prayer as a template will allow us to approach God in a way that pleases Him and moves His hand in our lives. Amen? How many want your prayers to be effective? Amen? This is the template. This is the pattern. So we acknowledge God as our Father. Then we acknowledge where our Heavenly Father is. He's in heaven. And it says, our Father who is in heaven, who art in heaven. What does that mean? That means God sits on heaven's throne. Amen? And what does that imply? God has power and dominion and authority over all things. You're not talking to the butler. You're not talking to the janitor. You're not talking to the secretary. You're not talking to the, you know, the the person just... No, you are praying to your heavenly Father who sits on heaven's throne, who has all power and all authority. I don't know why people would pray to other people, why they would pray to dead relatives or why they would pray to saints or why they would pray to the apostles when God says that we can go right to the source through Jesus Christ and connect to the Father. Amen? The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. That's it. Well, I pray to this one or I pray to that one or I go through the back door. There is no back door. There's a relationship with Jesus that allows you in the front door because the the veil's been torn in two, and now we have access to the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, he sits in power and authority. Uh, Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? We come reverencing or praising or, or acknowledging God's name. God's name is holy. It's the name above every name. Amen. We talked about the compound names of God when we looked at this text. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Jireh, our supply, our ready supply. Uh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Tzidkenu. All of those compound names of God reveal the character of God. So we come to him as father. We acknowledge where he is on heaven's throne, reigning supremely. We come to him and we just bless his name and reverence his name and begin to call out the characteristics of God as we approach him. Look, if you're praying for healing, you need to pray Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, our healer. Amen. If you're playing, praying for a place of lack, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, are you getting this today? Not a prayer, but a template of prayer. So that's verse 9, and that's how far we went. The template continues in verse 10. Verse 10 is powerful. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's unpack that this morning. It starts off with this declaration, your kingdom come. That's an interesting thing. Many times when we think about kingdoms, right away our minds are thrown back to the medieval times with castles and guys sitting on thrones with crowns and knights and swords and anybody? Or is it it just me that is weird? No, there's some weirdos out there, praise God. You're in the right place. When you you think of kingdom, you you don't say, I live in the kingdom of New York. Although some of our public servants think they're kings over us. We, we, we don't have leaders elected. We elect representatives. Let me, let, me just, let me just get on this a little bit here. Oh, our leaders told us. No, they don't. They are our representatives. It's a government by the people, for the people. Hello? Anybody? I know they don't teach this in school. That's why I got to teach it from the pulpit. Because they taught you to be compliant little lemmings to the tyranny. The Constitution be damned. Don't get me started. I'll go this morning. I'm telling you what, we, we have representatives. When they don't represent us anymore, we need to get on our knees and pray that God puts godly people in there, godly leadership, amen? Look at what's going on in our world. Look what's going on in our school boards. Look what's going on. They're trying to cram sexual perversion down the minds of kindergartners. Oh, you're in the right place. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom was a topic that Jesus spoke about constantly. Many of us don't realize that. Jesus talked about a few subjects that we don't like to talk about, but he talked about hell a lot. Why? Because he came so people didn't have to go there. And he talked about the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's what he came to establish. Jesus talked about the kingdom constantly. It was always on his lips. It was his mission to come and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Why? Because there were different kingdoms operating in the earth because of the fall of man and the power of sin. There's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, uh, the kingdom uh, of the flesh, the kingdom. There's all these different kingdoms. Jesus came speaking of the kingdom of God because it was his mission to establish the kingdom on earth. Now, you notice John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. You know, it's like here comes Jesus, but John comes to baptize the people into a baptism of repentance of sin to prepare them for the Messiah to come. Now, look at what John the Baptist's message was in Matthew 3, 1 through 3. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came, listen, preaching. He was a prophet, but he had a message. He was a preacher preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, listen, verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came preaching repentance for the remission of sin to prepare the way of the Lord, but his message was a kingdom message. John preached the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. Listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom in Matthew 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Powerful, amen. Jesus had a kingdom message, Lewis. He was preaching a gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sin. So what? So you could come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We need to understand the kingdom. Usually, uh, Christians don't understand the kingdom. And when, I, you know, when you talk about it, you get those glazed look on your face like I'm seeing out of there a little bit this morning. Yeah, we have a king who sits on heaven's throne. He has a different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. And you and I are all part of it because Jesus Christ has made us citizens of the kingdom of God. You say, well, how do, how do I get into the kingdom of God? In fact, ask me that. Humor me. That's pretty good. I'm so glad you asked. The only way to get into the kingdom of God is through repentance. The mechanism that gets us into the kingdom is repentance. Why? Because a switch needs to be made. I'm on this, I'm in this kingdom, but it's sin and it's darkness and it's being lost and I want to come out of it. So I get saved and I come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Do you notice the switch that has to be made? A switch of direction in life is what it takes to get out of one kingdom into another. There is a place in Canada, in Labrador, Canada. How many of people have heard of Labrador, Canada? Way up there in, you know, where Bigfoot lives. It's just, there's a, a city, a town in, in Labrador, Canada called Waybush. Now, Waybush was so isolated, it had no roads going in or going out. I guess you either flew in, dropped in, or were born there. 
So Waybush then had a road cut into it leading in, and there was one road going in and one road going out. If someone would travel that unpaved dirt road for about six to eight hours, uh, you know, they would get into Waybush. There was only one way to get in, and there was only one way to leave. They had to turn around and go out the way they came in. Each of us by birth arrived in a town called Sin. As in Waybush, there is only one way out, a road built by God himself. In order to take that road, we must turn around. We must repent. There is one way in and one way out. Repentance is the mechanism. I don't like the kingdom I'm in. Repent and accept Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life, and you can come out of sin and be forgiven and come into the light. Come on, are there any Christians here this morning? Amen. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom message Jesus preached. A translation from one kingdom to the next, a switch of directions, a turnaround. It's what all of us needed to come out of the dark and into the light. Your kingdom come, an interesting statement. Jesus preached the kingdom. John preached the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does it mean to say your kingdom come? Five things. Number one, it means we want Jesus to unseat all the other kings in our lives. Amen. Amen. Do you know you can have other kings in your life? Well, there's only one king, Pastor. Theologically, Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the king. Yeah, but we can serve other kings, little K kings, little kingdom kings, different kingdom kings. We can serve the kingdom of our own pleasure. We can serve the kingdom of our own will. I'm going to do what I want. Well, that's a different king. You can serve the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. Some people choose to serve darkness and sin, and, 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 they, and they serve a different king. But there can only but be one king on the throne of our hearts. You know, our heart has a throne on it, and it's a one-seater. Amen? It's not a love seat. It's not a sectional. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, yeah, I got a lot of room in my heart. I can serve the world. I can serve the devil. I can serve my flesh. You know, I come to church, get a little Jesus on Sunday, but the rest of the week I do me. I do my own thing. There's only room for one king on the throne of your heart. When we say, your kingdom come, as we pray, we're praying that Jesus would unseat every other king and be the king of kings and the Lord of lords on our heart. Number two, it means we've chosen to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to submit. Now, our flesh doesn't like to submit. How many people, by a show of hands, would like to raise their hand and say, I like to be told what to do all the time and listen to everything I'm told to do? John, you, if the ushers would take John out and beat him. <laughs> Donna, you're supposed to give him his medicine before he comes to church. Nobody likes to submit. <laughs> Nobody likes to be lorded over and told what to do. There are times in our lives when we need that. Why? Because we don't make the right choices. And, and we have to listen to someone, you know, who knows better or keeps us accountable, but our flesh doesn't like it. When we say your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, I, I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to submit to your lordship. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Number three, the third thing it means that when we, we pray your kingdom come, it means we reject this world, that kingdom. It means we reject the devil, that kingdom. It means we reject our own flesh and allow Jesus to be the boss of our lives. Number four, it means that we yearn to be ruled by the supernatural, not the natural, to become spiritual and not carnal. 
Do you know without Christ, we're all carnal. Our flesh drives the bus. And our flesh wants what it wants. It wants to be pampered. It wants to be pleasured. It, it wants to be intoxicated. It wants to feel good. It wants a full belly. It wants to say what it wants to say. Come on, anybody have flesh besides me this morning? Amen. And, and what does it want to do? It wants to do carnal things. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could remain carnal. He died so we could become spiritual, so we could be born again. So that dormant part inside us, we're a trichotomous being. We're three parts, just like the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit, amen? When our spirit is made alive in Christ, we are born again. And now we're no longer carnal or fleshly or worldly, but we're spiritual. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're spiritual. Sometimes we forget that we're spiritual and we act carnal. Sometimes in traffic, we forget that we are spiritual. I'm telling you, people, people in cars will bring out the worst in humanity. I'm like, I look at some people's driving, I'm like, how did you live this long? Switching lanes without looking, crossing this in the wrong spot, going fast, going slow. I'm like, oh my gosh. Your kingdom come means that we want to be spiritual and not carnal, that we want to live in the supernatural, not the natural. Number five, saying your kingdom come when we pray means that we truly understand the point of Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. Listen to Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. All of these died in faith, talking about the patriarchs and the founding father, without receiving the promise but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a different kingdom, as it were, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We are strangers and exiles in the earth. That's the point of Hebrews 11. We are in the earth, we are in the world, but we are not of it. We are citizens of a different kingdom. Come on, get this. When you and I become Christians, we're no longer just Rick Leonardi from New Yorkistan in the United States of America. That's not who I am. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I'm one of the king's sons, amen? You're one of the king's daughters today. See, this kingdom stuff, sometimes it's a hard sell. You know, sometimes as I'm preaching this, it's like, you know, trying to give pork recipes to a rabbi. You, they just don't, you know, people are like, oh, you know, kingdom, schmingdom, you know, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to, we have to understand that we are, we are in this world, but not of it. Well, I'm having a hard time functioning in this world. That's because you should be functioning in the kingdom of God as a Christian. Uh, submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not doing your own thing, but doing his thing. That's where you're going to find pleasure. That's where you're going to find peace. That's where you're going to find joy. Your kingdom come. Then the text continues, your will be done. Actually, we're on the same vein here, but it's ramping it up. Because the surrendering of our own will is a vital part of us becoming legitimate, productive members of God's kingdom. 
You and I can't do our own thing and God's thing at the same time. We, one kingdom has to go. Self has to go. My agenda has to go. But listen, surrendering our will is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. Why? Because, you know, our flesh wants to do what it wants to do. That's why carnal Christians who don't, you know, allow themselves to be spiritually motivated by the Holy Spirit have a really hard time serving God. Because every time the flesh says, do this, eat this, drink this, go there, say that, listen to this. You say, okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. That'll make me feel good for right now. Wow. We're of a different kingdom. If you're a Christian and you're trying to operate in a different kingdom while you're part of the kingdom of God, you, you're going to have a tough time finding some peace and joy in life. So it says your will be done. Surrendering our will is a vital part of being a kingdom Christian. It's not possible to serve the purposes of God's kingdom and a bunch of other conflicting agendas simultaneously. We don't have the time for it, and we don't have the energy for it. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't have the time to do my thing and God's thing. Anybody else? But I have to do God's thing. Otherwise, there's no, there's no purpose. There's no joy in my life. Even when you say, well, I'm going to just do my thing. And, and when you're done with it, you're like, all that did was make me tired. And now I have less money. And I'm not refreshed. And, you know, it didn't work. Come on, I'm just preaching truth here this morning. For those of us who've got some mileage and realize, you know what, doing your own thing is not fulfilling in life. But we have to surrender our will. We, we can't serve God's kingdom and a bunch of other conflicting agendas. You know, uh, Matthew 6, 24 lets us know that there's only room for one king in our lives. You know, kind of reiterating what we said here, but listen to Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it comes down to serving God or mammon, the flesh, money, wealth, pleasure, all those things, all those things that have to do with the kingdom of this world. And the, and the scripture is really clear. You can't serve both. You don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You're going to love one or, and, and hate the other. Why? Because they're in conflict with each other. Now, as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart. When it comes to a life in this world, uh, over the last decades, maybe the last 50 years, uh, we've been encouraged to think globally. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but we've been encouraged to think globally to the point where, you know, the truth is that you can be a citizen of more than one country. Did, did, did you just hear about this? Is, no. My wife's Canadian. She's from Canada. She still has her Canadian citizenship. We could move to Canada anytime we wanted because she's a citizen there. But she can also be a citizen of the United States. When you are a citizen of more than one country, that's called dual citizenship. And I think it's not just limited to two. You can be, you know, some people have multiple estates, multiple, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, multiple houses and stuff all over Europe, Canada, the West. And they have dual citizenship. Now, when I thought about this, something stuck out to me right away. If you have dual citizenship and you're a citizen of two countries, what happens if those two countries come into conflict? What if you were a German citizen living in the, in the United States and World War II broke out? What if you were Japanese? We know what happened historically. They took those, those people from other countries and put them in internment camps during World War II because they didn't know who they were going to be loyal to. 
So what happens is if you're a citizen of two countries and those countries come into conflict, something has to happen. You have got to pick a side. I want to say something. Christians can't have dual citizenship. Well, I'm a citizen of the world, and I'm a citizen of my flesh, and I'm a citizen of my own agenda. Oh, and I come to church on Sunday and get a little Jesus that lasts me all week long. That doesn't work that way. It's time to pick a side. Dual citizenship doesn't work in the kingdom of God. Why? Because the other kingdoms are in conflict, and they are diametrically opposed to each other, and we have to choose one. We have to, as the Old Testament said, choose ye this day whom we're going to serve. Amen? Whether you're going to serve the idols here or you're going to serve the living God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? And that's the choice that we have to make. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, the most difficult will, thing we'll ever deal with, the hardest thing perhaps that we'll ever have to do is surrender our own will. Do you know, even Jesus struggled with surrendering his own will. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was struggling. Why? Because he was about to be crucified, and he knew it. And guess what? His flesh didn't want to die. You say, Jesus? No, no, he ran to the cross. He was like, good, you know, he just, no, he wasn't like us. No, he had flesh just like us. And, you know, as he wrestles in the garden, he's praying. He's trying to get the disciples to, to stay awake with him. And we see this struggle in him. And the struggle is real. Why? Because he has to surrender his will. And he has to choose the Father's will instead of his own. Listen to Matthew 26, 42. And he went away a second time and prayed. So Jesus is there. He's got a few disciples with him. They're falling asleep. He's wrestling with the fact that he, he has to be crucified. And he says, I went away a second time praying, saying, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, not my will, but yours be done. What's that all about? Jesus is saying, hey, I know what's coming. I know I have to, as it were, drink this cup. What? And what's that cup? I have to be nailed to the cross and become sin for all lost humanity. And he's saying, hey, hey, father, if there's another way, if there's a plan B, if you got any other ideas, father, let's talk about them now. But not my will, but not my flesh, but not my agenda, but yours be done. Jesus wrestled with the flesh too. So it's no surprise that we would wrestle with it, and there's no shame in it. If you're struggling, if you, if you want to do things you know that the Bible says you shouldn't do, if you want to live in a certain way that you know will be ruinous to your soul, uh, you know, that struggle is real. But we have to look, even Jesus struggled it, but the conclusion was, not my will, but yours be done. That's the place that we all have to come to to find peace in life, to find blessing in life, amen? God's not trying to take things away from you because he's trying to ruin your fun. He doesn't want to make you boring and miserable and walk around all day in a robe praying. Life doesn't start until we surrender to God. Joy doesn't start until we surrender to God. Come on, does anybody believe what I'm preaching here this morning? Amen? Come on, for the people that don't know it's true, make some noise if you didn't start living until you gave your life completely to Jesus. Amen? That's where it starts, man. That's where it starts. 
oh, I'm having fun, I'm doing my thing, I'm getting some of this and some of that, I'm get, you know, I'm living my life, I'm sowing my oats, you're wasting your time. This world has nothing for you that Jesus doesn't offer to you so much more in the kingdom of God. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wrestled. We're going to wrestle with it. It's a hard thing. But the bottom line with doing the will of God is this. We don't have to like it. We don't have to feel it. We don't have to agree with it. And sometimes we don't even have to understand it. We just have to do it. Amen? So I encourage you this morning, where you're stuck, where you're struggling, where you're half in the world and half out, get your foot out of that and get into the kingdom and be 100% his and say, not my will, but yours be done. That's where you're going to find peace and joy. That's where we're going to find the abundant life. Well, the text continues here. Very simple, powerful verse. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, this isn't just a prayer to be repeated. It's a template. It's showing us how to pray. So we come to God and we acknowledge his kingdom. And then we ask for his will to be done in our lives. We make the, the decision to repent and to come out of one kingdom into another. And then in our prayer time, we ask God to have what's going on in heaven touch us here in earth. Now, when we're in heaven, everything's going to be completely different. Whenever I talk about heaven, everybody gets quiet. We don't quite know what's going to go on there. Are we going to just float around on clouds with harps? When we get to heaven, everything's going to be different because we're going to be in a different kingdom. While we're here on earth, there's still sin, there's still carnality, there's still darkness. In heaven, there is none. Come on, let's talk about heaven a little bit. We're going there. You're going there if you're a Christian. Whether you like it or not, you're going there. The text says, on earth as it is in heaven. This clues us into the fact that we should be praying for what's going on in heaven to touch us here on earth. We live in a dark, sinful, lawless world. And it's hard to look around and think that things are getting better. Because you know what? They're not. People are saying, well, it's going to get better. It's going to turn around. And you know what? I'm not sure that that's true. We could be sliding right into the tribulation period. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Are you looking for his coming? Are you ready to meet him? Amen. You know, so you look around and you're, has anybody been looking around lately and going, how much darker is it going to get? How much crazier are people going to get? Do you see what, like I said, what's going on in our school boards, what's going on in our schools, what's going on? You know, Disney used to be a safe place to bring kids. Now it's all about sexuality and immorality and all this stuff. And, and, and it's just crazy. Educated people that should know better are fighting to indoctrinate little children. Oh, if this makes you uncomfortable, Good. Well, I don't want to talk about this in church. Well, there's a door. Don't let the Lord the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You can leave anytime you want. Amen. I'm going to talk about truth, and I'm going to say whatever the Holy Spirit puts on my heart. It's not about politics. It's not about voting. It's not about this party or that party. It's about the kingdom of darkness exerting its will in our, in our world right now, and the church needs to wake up. We lose this generation, we're going to be held accountable. 
God help us. They're hitting the kids while they're so young. Why is that? The enemy's desperate. He knows his time is short. He doesn't have time to wait generations. He's going after the little ones now to get their minds twisted and warped. And it, it's, just a, it's just a crazy time to be alive right now. I think about the way I was raised and what I was taught in school, the patriotism and the Constitution and morality. And Wake up. He's coming, but if he don't show up tomorrow, we need to occupy till he comes. We need to be the church and be salt and light, amen? On earth as it is in heaven, I see a rapid polarization taking place in this generation. The dark is getting darker, and the light needs to get more intense. You and I don't need to shrink back or shut up or fade off into the past or circle the wagons or head for the hills. We need to speak up and say the truth in love and teach the world that's lost and confused the word of God. The church needs to be the church. On earth as it is in heaven. The dark is getting darker, Pastor. It's a little bit scary. You know, when it's really dark, the light pierces the darkness. One time on a Wednesday night, I was talking about, you know, hiding your light under a bushel basket. I turned all the lights off in the sanctuary. If you've ever been in the sanctuary when all the lights are off, it is blacker than black. Many times, you know, the lights are in the sound booth. You, You can't get to them sometimes. I've walked in here to come to the pulpit, tripped on chairs, fallen off the altar. Some of you don't even care. You're just looking at me. I mean, I, I've walked right off this altar in the dark. Tough crowd. You say, why is that? No light. Now they're clapping for me falling off the altar. <laughs> My mother still loves me. You know, why is that? No light, you can't see, you stumble, amen? But the darker it is, if, when I was in here, I turned a flashlight on. Man, did it pierce the darkness. Amen. If I turned a flashlight in on here now, you wouldn't even see it. If I shined it, you know, in your eyes, you'd be like, yeah, but that'd be it. But the darker it gets, the more the light shines in the darkness. You and I are that light. Let's shine that light. Amen. Let's pray. You know, God, what's going on in heaven? Let it touch earth. We see the polarization. You know, and I want to say this, even as the world plunges deeper and deeper into rebellion against God, the prayerful kingdom-minded saint can experience the breath of heaven in their daily routine. That's a good place. Amen? Amen? Pastor, it's a mess out there. It's dark out there. There's problems in my life, my family. There's problems in the church. It's pretty messed up. Yeah, but if you and I will begin to pray and we'll begin to cry out for what's going on heaven to touch earth, God's kingdom will touch the kingdom of this world. The breath of heaven will be injected into our daily routine. We'll have peace in the midst of the storm. We'll have light in the midst of darkness. We'll have hope in the midst of hopelessness. You know, we can have these divine appointments where heaven touches earth. I want to read you a story. It's kind of lengthy, but it's, it's worth it. And it's a story that has circulated through the church for a long time about a man named Roger Sims, who is hitchhiking his way home from World War II. Uh, And he's hitchhiking home, and he's in his uniform, and he has a very heavy suitcase on his back. He's trying to get home. 
you know, and he flashes the hitchhiking sign onto an oncoming car. But when he saw that the car was a slick, black, brand-new Cadillac, he figured it would never stop. But to his surprise, the car did stop, and the passenger door flew open, and he ran towards the car. He tossed his suitcase in the back seat and slipped into the front seat where there was a handsome, well-dressed man. He said, going home for keeps? And he said, I sure am. Well, if you're going towards Chicago, you're in luck. Well, not quite that far, but it's on the way. He says, do you live in Chicago? And the man said, no, I'm a businessman. I own a business there. My name is Mr. Hanover. After riding and talking for a long time about many different subjects, Roger, a Christian, felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to witness with this successful businessman and tell him about Christ. After putting it off for a long time, he suddenly realized he was only 30 minutes from home, so it was now or never. Roger cleared his throat, and he said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important. And then he proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he'd like to receive Christ. Abruptly, the Cadillac pulled off to the side of the road. Roger thought, I'm going to get thrown out of this car. But the businessman had bowed his head on the steering wheel and was weeping. He heard the gospel, he received Christ, and Roger led him into prayer that day of salvation. Five years went by. Roger was now married, had a son of his own, and a business of his own. He pulled out that old suitcase to pack it to go on a trip to Chicago, and he found a small white business card that Mr. Hanover had given him five years ago. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. He walked in and asked the receptionist if he could see Mr. Hanover. She said, oh, I'm sorry, it's impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but you can see Mrs. Hanover. Roger, a little confused, was ushered into a lovely office and found himself facing a very serious woman in her 50s. She extended her hand to him and said, you knew my husband? He said, yes, he gave me a ride when I came home from war. Can you tell me? What day that was? He said, I sure can. It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day, Miss Hanover said? Well, actually, Miss Hanover, yes. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with your husband that day, and he pulled over on the side of the road, weeping against his steering wheel, and he gave his life to Christ. Explosive sobs shook Miss Hanover's body. It took her a long time to get a grip on herself, and through the tears, she said, I prayed for my husband's salvation for years, and I believed that God would save him. Roger asked, Mrs. Hanover, where is your husband? Struggling through the tears, she finally blurted out, he's dead. He died in a car crash that day, May 7th, sometime after he dropped you out of the car. Yet I thought that God hadn't heard my prayer and kept his word to me. Through uncontrolled sobbing, she said, now I know God kept his word, and heard my prayer. You and I can have divine appointments like that. What a powerful testimony. You never know how God can use you if you make yourself usable. All you have to do is be obedient and be connected to the kingdom to allow heaven to touch earth. In that car, on that day, a prayer was answered and heaven touched earth and a soul was saved that would soon be in the presence of God. Just like the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You and I can have divine appointments in life if we're kingdom-minded. If our prayers are saying, God, what's going on in heaven, let it happen in earth. What's going on in heaven, let it happen through me. What's going on in heaven? Well, the lordship of Jesus Christ is unchallenged. What's going on in heaven? The worship of the king is unceasing. 
What's going on in heaven? The dominion of sin is broken and it doesn't exist. What's going on in heaven? Well, the presence and the joy that happens in God's presence is unending. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let what's going on in heaven touch earth. Use us as conduits of light to the darkness to have divine appointments that change destinies. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me just recap our template so far. We've covered two verses. Look how much fun we've had with two verses. So far, the template looks like this. We come to God and recognize he's our heavenly father. We acknowledge he sits on heaven's throne in complete authority. We worship him and praise him by reverencing his name. And then we ask for, submit to, and cry out for his kingdom rule, praying that what's going on in heaven would touch earth through us. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for... First of all, for the disciples asking that question, Lord, teach us to pray. Give us that humility, Lord, to, to come to you, Father, as students with a teachable heart to teach us, Lord God. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that's hurting, that's struggling, that feels the conflict. I want to serve God, but this kingdom is pulling at me. The, the darkness calls to me. I, I want to do the things that appease my flesh, but the, the struggle is too much. I pray that by the Holy Spirit and through a decision of our will today, we would take a stand and choose what kingdom we want to be part of. Father, equip us and empower us to leave the darkness, to stand against it, and to enjoy the goodness of being a child of God. Deliver us from our fears and from our anxieties and from our addictions, Lord, and deliver us from that sin that grabs a hold of us, Lord, and allow us to be those who see the kingdom of heaven touch earth. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you've never had a, a chance to receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says the way that we're saved is that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and that God raised him from the dead and we would be saved. Jesus died for sinners, and that's me, and that's you. All of us are sinners. We need a Savior. You say, well, what will happen if I accept Jesus as my Savior? He'll forgive all your sins. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the power to live a different life. He'll settle your eternity. You won't have to wonder where you're going to go when you die because the price that Jesus paid is the ticket that purchases us salvation for eternity and it purchases us a ticket to heaven. You say, well, I want that more than anything. What does it cost? It doesn't cost us anything. It costs Jesus everything. He died for us so that we wouldn't have to pay the price of our own sin, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you want your eternity settled, if you want to live a different life from this moment forward and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to lift up your hand. How many people here, God bless you, young man, ushers, keep your hand up. We're going to put a packet in each hand. Front row, guys, move. Who else? Come on, this is the most important part of our service. Don't miss it today. Jesus died for us so that we can make a decision for him today. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize who you are. You're the Savior. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. 
Today, I want to switch directions. There was one way in, and there's one way out. So I repent. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, you're the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Praise God. You might say, can a prayer like that really change the direction of your life? Absolutely. In fact, by a showing of hands, how many of us prayed a prayer like that and years later we are still serving God? Praise God. Look at all those hands. Turn around and look at all those hands. Amen. When I was a young man at 14, I prayed a prayer just like that, and God changed my life, and I've never been the same since, and I've never been able to leave this place since. So uh, I don't know if you're stuck here like me. God bless you, but... You didn't join a church today. What you did is you acknowledged Jesus. And the way you make your relationship grow is that pack in your hand will tell you uh, how to pray, how to be in a church that teaches the gospel. But allow your faith to grow and blossom, and God will bring you to maturity. Amen. One more time, let's do what the angels in heaven are doing, and let's just worship God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.